It's an unbelievable Arachayim HaKadosh on this week's Parsha that I want to share with you. The Arachayim says that Adam HaRishon can be seen as a tree. And as a tree, one would think of all the leaves and all the branches of the tree as the souls that descended from Adam HaRishon. When Adam Arishon sinned, Arachayim explains that the forces of evil, the forces of impurity, somehow, whatever this means, these souls, or at least some of these very, very holy souls, became captured by the side of impurity. And he says that it's the job of the Jewish people, through Torah and through mitzvos, to rescue these souls. But there are some times, and this is what's wild, there are some times that a terrible event could occur, and through that tragic event, it could release from captivity one of these very holy souls. And one example of that, that we see in this week's parsha, in this week's parsha, is the soul of Rav Hanina ben Tradio. When Shechem took advantage of Dina, so the Pasuk says, Rachavta Yadayim, that Shechem was telling the city that there's ample space, Rachavta Yadayim, there's ample space for us to be together with Klal Yisrael, together with the Shvatim. And the Kahelis Yaakov, which is a Kabbalistic Sefer that the Arachayim quotes from, says, Rachavta is Rashi Tevos Rav Hanina ben Tradion. Hanina ben Tradion was, of course, the great sage who I'm sure many of you know was burned by the Romans while wrapped in a Sefer Torah. You've heard this story before. He was burned by the Romans, wrapped in a Sefer Torah. They placed a piece of wool on his heart so that he would be tortured for longer. And the Talmidim asked him, Rabbi, what do you see? And he said, the Torah is being burnt, but the letters are flying. The great sage of Hanina ben Tradion somehow had become captured within Shechem. And when Shechem hurt Dina in that way, somehow there was some influence that it released the soul of Hanina ben Tradion from captivity. So the Arachayim HaKadosh says. Now, there's two questions. We'll start with the more obvious one. The first question is, whenever we learn anything in Torah, there has to be some relevance to our life. There has to be some way of connecting this to our life. So we hear a Dvar Torah like this, it's a pretty cool thing to think about, that the word Rachavta is Rashi Tevos, or Chanina Ben Tradion, but it seems to be intellectual, it seems to be cerebral, it doesn't seem to have anything to do with our Avaydah Sasha. So the first question is, what do we do with this? The second question which is more of a, a learning type of question, is what is the connection between Rav Hanina ben Tradion and Shechem? Why of all places was Rav Hanina ben Tradion's soul captured by Shechem? What's the nature of Shechem? What's the inner nature of Shechem that we can understand in order to, in order to understand the connection between Shechem and Rav Hanina ben Tradion? So I want to share with you a story about Rav Hanina ben Tradion. The Gemara tells us that Rav Yosef ben Kisma, 
fell ill, he became sick, and Rav Hanina ben Tradion went to visit him. And Rav Hanina ben Tradion at the time was teaching Torah publicly. And Rav Yosef ben Kisma said to him, Hanina, my brother, don't you know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given Rome power over this world? Don't you know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed Rome to destroy his house, the Beis HaMikdash, to kill the Tzadikim, and to rule over all of Klal Yisrael? So why do you sit and study Torah publicly? This is the question that Yosef ben Kisma asked of Hanina ben Tradion. So Hanina ben Tradion responded, You'll see that the Torah will, uh, will protect us, HaKadosh Baruch will have Rachamim on us, nothing bad will happen. And Rav Yosef ben Kisma responds, a very interesting response. He says, I'm trying to be logical. I'm trying to be sensible. And you say that we're going to have Rachamim from Shamayim? He says, I wouldn't be surprised if you and the Torah would be burned together. Wow. Which is eventually what happened. It's eventually what happened. So Rav Hanina asked Rav Yosef ben Kisma, he said, and what about my chelek and Olam Haba? What about my portion in the world to come? So Rav Hanina asked, Rav Yaisi asked Rav Hanina, he said, what merits do you have? What schuyos do you have? So Rav Hanina responded, Rav Hanina responded and he said, one time I had money for the Purim Suda and I also had money that was meant to be dispersed for tzedakah. And Rav Hanina was responsible for both of those things. So since he didn't know which money was which, he gave all the money to the Aniyah. And that was my schus. That's the schus that Rav Hanina ben Tradion had. So Rav Yosef ben Kisma responds, and this is, the end, this is the end of the Gemara. He says, if that's the case, then I want my portion in Elam Abba to be with you and to, that my fate should be similar to yours. Now, there's many questions on this Gemara. I'm going to try to ask just a few of them. It's such a strange conversation. You know, Rav Hanina ben Tradion is a hero. Somebody, imagine, teaches Torah Barabim when there's a gzera that we shouldn't teach Torah, and Rav Hanina ben Tradion gets up and says, nothing will prevent me from teaching Torah. What a, what a tremendous thing to do. And Rav Yosef ben Kisma is critical of him for this. What does that mean? Why is Rav Yosef ben Kisma critical of him? Adrabi, he's teaching Torah Barabim. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. Not only that, he tells him, because of what you're doing, I'm trying to be sensible. You're saying, Racham Shamayim. I'm trying to be sensible. Since when do we see that that's a value? If a person has an opportunity to teach Torah in the face of persecution and he teaches Torah, you need to have Racha Meshamayim for that? And Rav Yosef ben Kisma says, be sensible. You're not being a sensible. That's kind of like what we would expect from our tzaddikim. We would expect for them to be living on this higher plane. What's Rav Yosef ben Kisma saying? And then Rav Yosef ben Kisma says to him, you want to know if you have a chilek in Olam Abba? Let's look at your schuyos. What do you mean look at your schuyos? This is Rav Hanina ben Tradium we're talking about. He's teaching Tayyar Barabim. Is there a schus that could be greater than that? And of all the schuyos, in, in all the schuyos, Girls, I, I, you're all wonderful, you're all amazing. This can't be like a, like a conversation about like air conditioning in the room. That's for the dorms. You, you're welcome to fight and discuss all the temperature in the room. But for now, it is what it is, and we have to leave it. Yeah? Fair? Okay, save it. It's just trying to do something big here. 
So of all the schuyos to come from, he says, one time I miss at one time I, I messed up the money that was supposed to go to the Aniyam and for my Purim Sudha, so I gave it all to the Aniyam. That's the schus. That's a nice thing to do. But that's the great schus that Rav, that Rav Hanina ben Tradion thinks for himself. And apparently this schus is so big. This schus is so big that Rav Yosef ben Kisma says, I want, I want your chalik and olam abba, and I want my fate to be similar to yours, even though he knew that he was going to be burned with a Sefer Torah. So what in the world is going on over here? In order to understand this, we need to go back to understand the fundamental nature of the city of Shechem. And in order to understand the fundamental nature of the city of Shechem, we need to go back to Maiseberatius. We all know, I'm sure you've heard Chazal say before, that if you look in the Torah, it says, Beratius bara Elokim. What's the language of Elokim? What does Elokim mean, girls? As opposed to Yudke Vavke? Elokim means Din. Why? Because when HaKadosh Baruch Hu first created the world, how did he create the world? With Din. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, we're going to have strict justice in the world. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, I see that the world can't last with Din, so I'm going to create something called Rachamim, I'm going to create something called Mercy. Very, very strange. Why does HaKadosh Baruch Hu want the world to be created through Din, and why ultimately does he want the world to have mercy in it? And the answer is as follows. Let's think about a relationship for a moment. What do you want from your husband? Do you want that you should have mercy on your husband? Or do you want that your husband should operate within the regular boundaries and rules of a relationship? Every one of us wants a relationship of din. We think of din, din gets a bad rap. We think of din as being strict justice, but the MS is that justice is a beautiful thing. You want, you want to have a husband that follows the rules of the relationship. If you have to have compassion on your husband, what does that mean? It means that the boundaries of the relationship were already violated. If you have to have compassion on your children, what does that mean? It means that your children already went against the rules. What's the greatest expression of the connection between a parent and a child if the child follows the rules of the parents? Does that make sense? If a parent says to a child, I want you to be home by 10.30 for curfew, and the child says, no, I'm coming home at 11, what does the child effectively say? I don't care about your rules. I'm not interested in being part of this relationship. If a child says, I'm going to come home at 10.30, as a parent, what do you feel? There's a respect. There's an honor. There's a dignity to the relationship. If a husband is talking to a wife, and the wife says, this is what I want from you in our relationship. I want you to put away your phone when you come in the house for the first hour so that you could be here and you could be present. That's the din of the relationship. That makes sense, right? She's saying, these are the boundaries within which the relationship exists. If the husband doesn't follow that, what is he saying about the relationship? He's saying the phone is more important to me than you. Does that make sense? So really, din is a very beautiful thing. If a girl comes to seminary and she, I'm making something up, comes to class, talking to her friends, passing notes on the phone, what is she saying? What is she saying? If she violates curfew, if she does whatever she's doing, yeah? What is she saying about her standing in the seminary, so to speak? Saying, I'm going to do it on my terms. I'm here. 
You hear this a lot. It's my year. You hear that a lot? Like, it's my year. Why is the school giving me such a hard time about doing this? It's my year. What's the answer to that question? Because you operate within the framework of an institution. When you operate within the framework of an institution, naturally there's going to be din. And by the way, what happens when somebody calls you out on it? What happens, what do girls always do if they get called out for violating the rules of the relationship? Ugh, why can't they just understand me? What are you saying when you say have mercy? You're saying, I know that I violated the sanctity of the relationship, but have rachamim on me anyway. Can we now understand why HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants the world to be a place of din? In a place of din, that means the relationship is valued. The problem is that sometimes, because we're human beings, we fail to live up to our own expectations of the relationship. So let's say, for example, have you ever had something like this? You ever were macabre on yourself? Not to what's going on. You ever on yourself? I'm not going to sleep through shachris. I'm going to at least make davening by sofs mantvili. You ever have something like that? And you really commit yourself to it. And you do it for a week. And then you miss one day. If you treat yourself with din, what happens? If you treat yourself with din, it becomes avera goreres avera. If you say, ah, I messed up. It's over, finished, fartig, I have nothing left to do. I messed it up. I was on a streak, and now the streak is over. So then what happens the next day? Ah, I already missed it yesterday, so now I'm going to miss it today. And then three weeks later, what are you sitting here saying? Chaval that I didn't start doing this three weeks ago, because now I have to pick it up again. What would happen if you had racham? <coughs> I once had a, uh, a friend of mine who I said something to him, and he said to me, it's a very beautiful line that he said to me, I said something nasty about myself, and he said to me, he goes, can you try that again, but can you be a little nicer to my friend Mordechai? I said, relax. Relax, yeah. What's, what's beautiful about that? Because we're human. To be human means to make a mistake. So if somebody treats us with strict justice, what are they really saying? I don't really value you. I only value the relationship. Does that make sense? When we have rachamim on somebody, let's say you have a guy in yeshiva, and a guy violates one of the big rules of the yeshiva, and you have rachamim on him. And then he violates another big rule of the yeshiva, and you have rachamim on him. And then he violates another big rule in yeshiva, and you have rachamim. What are you really saying to him? Al pidin, you should have been tossed from yeshiva the first time. Certainly the second time, and the third time is already pasha. Now we're on the fourth time. What is the chinuch message that you communicate to a guy when you say, look, we can't keep doing this, but I'm going to have rachamim on you. I'm giving you that one last chance. You're telling him, I know that al pidin, this relationship is over, but I actually care about you, not just the relationship. The reason why rachamim is a beautiful thing in a relationship, if, as a, if a wife says to her husband, when you come home, I want you to put the phone away for an hour. But then he gets curious, and he's wondering if his office messaged him because he left and he wasn't sure if that big deal was going to go through. So he's, his wife goes to the bathroom, so he quickly runs to the drawer and he turns on the phone to look. And his wife comes out of the bathroom at exactly the wrong time. And she sees him on the phone and he turns around and he goes, ooh, busted, right? Alpidin, she should be upset. What would Rachamim mean? Rachamim would mean, I know that you want to be in this relationship. I know that you don't think this is your best self. I see that your curiosity got the best of you. 
I don't just care about this relationship, I care about you. So it was a mistake and we can let it move on. We can have rachamim in these situations. But ultimately, what's the point of rachamim? The point of rachamim is to get back to a world of din. Because if you have enough rachamim, what happens? Then the person begins to behave within the relationship. I want to share with you an amazing chinuch line. This is from, uh, I believe it's from Dr. David Pelkowitz. Rules without relationships equal rebellion. It's an unbelievable line. If a parent puts a set of rules and she says, and the mother says, be home by 10.30, but the mother has no relationship with her child, what's the child going to do when it's 10.30? I have a choice. I could hang out with my friends or suffer the wrath of my mother in, in 45 minutes from now. What's the child going to choose? Very often the child is going to say, all right, I'm gonna, now I'm going to power play with my mother. I'm going to come back at 11.15, 11.30. And my mother's going to yell at me like she always does, and I'm not going to listen like I always don't. And then I'm going to go to my room, and I'm going to wake up tomorrow, and I'm going to go to school, and I don't have to deal with my mother. Rules without relationships equal rebellion. We need to have rachamim because we need to teach our children, you are worthy of participating in this relationship. But ultimately, if you give a child enough rachamim, what starts to happen? The child moves back into the world of din. Because if a mother really cares about me, then what happens? If she really cares about me, of course I'm going to participate in the relationship. When do kids stop participating in the relationship? When the parents say, we only care about the relationship. How many people here understand what I'm talking about? Not enough. You understand what I'm saying? So the way it goes is as follows. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world, he created a world of din. Once he created other Marishim, what did he see? Din is not going to work. I need to create Rachamim. But Olam Haba is not Rachamim. Olam Haba is din. So it's din, then Rachamim, back to din. Does that make sense? That's the nature of everything in the world. We set rules for our children. We know that our children are going to break the rules. We tell them we love them. Eventually they come back to within the guidelines and boundaries of the relationship. Din, then Rachamim, back to Din. You know what Shechem is? Shechem is the lowest point of all of creation. The Gemara in Sanhedrin says Shechem is a place of Din. Only harsh, strict judgment. That's why all the bad things always happen in Shechem. What happened in Shechem? We know Dina was attacked by Shechem. Where was Yosef sold? Down to Mitzrayim. Yosef was sold down in Shechem. Where did Yoshua give the brachos and klalos in the Torah? He gave it from Shechem. When Yaakov arrived in Shechem, listen what the Pasuk says. Yaakov came shalem to the city of Shechem. What does it mean that Yaakov came shalem to the city of Shechem? So we all know. He came and he said, I'm whole. I kept Tariag Mitzvos in Lavan's house. He came whole to the city of Shechem. What's the significance of the fact that Yaakov comes to the place of strict judgment and he was perfect? It means that Yaakov Avinu was able to go to Shechem and to be able to say, in this place where all there is is harsh judgment, I'm able to say, I lived up to the calling of Hashem. That's an unbelievable thing to be able to say. And therefore, what did Yaakov do? Listen to the words of the Pasuk. Yaakov Avinu bought Shechem. How does Yaakov Avinu buy Shechem? What does it mean for Yaakov Avinu to buy Shechem? Yaakov Avinu says, I can own every single rule in the relationship. 
I can own every aspect of this relationship. That's no small thing to say. And you know what the Ibn Ezra says on this? The Ibn Ezra says a wild thing, something we're only going to understand at the end of this year. The Ibn Ezra says, from here we see that if you own a plot in Eretz Yisrael, you own a chilek in Olam Abba. If you only rent a place in Eretz Yisrael, then you don't own a chilek in Olam Abba. What in the world are we doing with Olam Abba here in Shechem? But if you remember, again, I'm not going to answer it fully now, but if you remember, how does the world start? The world starts with din, what does it end with? It ends with din. In the middle, there's rachamim. It's a din sandwich. Or I should say, it's a rachamim sandwich. But the point of origin and the end point of all relationships is din. Yaakov Avinu comes and he says, I own din. But listen what din means. Din means, if you really want to know if you're worthy of the din then you have to know that Shechem is a place where Hashem is totally concealed. And I'll explain to you what I mean. If you're in the mood to wake up for davening, and you wake up for davening, who are you serving? Yourself. Yourself and Hashem. It's not so obvious, right? If you wake up to daven, and you're in the mood to daven, you're davening, you're talking to Hashem. But can you say, I'm serving Hashem? You can't know if you're serving Hashem until you daven when you don't want to. In a certain way, what's higher? If you show up to davening and you're not in the mood to daven at all and you just mumble through the words, or the person who's so excited to go to davening and she davens with tremendous kavana. In a certain way, it's much higher to show up to davening from a place of concealment. It reveals the truth of the relationship. Just turn it over to a husband and wife for a second. A husband goes away on a business trip. Chas v'shalom. He's in a situation where something funny could happen. And, and before he left to go on the trip, let's say he got into a big fight with his wife. When do you see the truth of the relationship? If everything is going fine in his marriage and there's a temptation... So okay, but say that everything is going fine. So it's not such a big temptation. But what if his wife hasn't spoken to him in two weeks? What if Lo Aleinu, they're in such a place that they mamish can't communicate to each other? And now he's in a situation where nobody's going to know. The din means you stay loyal to the relationship. The din tells you be loyal to the relationship. In other words, where do you find din? Says the Beis Yaakov of Ishbitz, the Ishbitz Rebbe only where there's total concealment. If Shechem is the place of Din, then Shechem has to be the place that conceals HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence completely. And that's why the Beis Yaakov explains that Yaakov Avinu bought Shechem for a hundred, the Lashon of the Pasuk is a hundred, it's a very unique Lashon, Mea Kshita, a hundred Kshitas, which is an exorbitant amount of money. The Beis Yaakov explains that there's ten spheros inside of everybody's soul. And each one of those ten spheros has ten spheros, and ten times ten equals a hundred. Yaakov Avinu went into the place of total concealment, and his entire being was a place of din. This is why the Beis Yaakov explains, this is why Yoshua specifically gives the blessings and the curses in Shechem. You know, outside of Shechem, when you hear a curse you might be able to ascertain that there's a bracha within the klala. But in Shechem, when you hear a klala, you only hear a klala. In, in Shechem, when you hear that something bad happened, it means something terrible and tragic happened. Now we understand the deep thing that nobody's ever understood. 
Why does Dina go to Shechem? And why is she called Bas Leah here? Because Leah was Din. Why was Leah Din? Because she was the firstborn. Girls, what came first in the creation of the world? Din or Rachamim? Din comes first, then Rachamim. So if Leah's born first, what is she? She's the Midah of Din. Why was Leah supposed to marry Esav? Because Esav came first. Stam because they were both firstborns, they should marry each other. If Esav came first, then he was also the Midah of Din. And what does Leah do when she finds out that she's going to marry Esav? She cries. And what does she do? She begs for Rachamim. The reason why Leah doesn't marry Esav is because she changed the nature of her soul that she should become a Rachaman, she should become someone who required compassion, and then she could marry Yaakov, who's the second, he's Rachaman. But even though Leah changed the root nature of her soul, even though Leah said, I'm no longer a, bal- a Balas Din, all of her children were Din. And there was one child more than any other who represented Din, and who was that child? That child was Dina. So Dina, who's Din, who's the daughter of Leah, who's Din, goes to Shechem, which is the place of Din, the ultimate place of concealment. Now there's an unbelievable Arizal. It was worth it to come 6,000 miles, for those that are actually physically present and mentally present, it was worth it to come 6,000 miles just to hear this tirade. Listen to this. We know that Dina has many Gilgulos. She comes back as many different souls. But there's one common theme that you see in every single Gilgul of Dina. In the first go-around, Dina is taken advantage of by Shrem. In the second go-around, Dina comes back as Avigail. Who's Avigail married to? Nobody here? Naval. Naval Akarmeli. And, and ultimately, who does she end up marrying? David HaMelech. Another one. Dina is married initially to who? She's married initially to Turnus Rufus, who was the enemy of Claudius He was a Roman. And then she became a Giyaris and ultimately marries Ravakiva. Says the Ariza, listen to this. Every time you see Dina, every time you see Dina, there's always some sort of transfer. She always goes from the hands of someone evil to the hands of someone righteous. So originally Dina is attacked by Shechem. Who marries her? Her brother Shimon. Originally she's married to Naval, but then she passes to David HaMelech. Originally she's married to Turnus Rufus, but then eventually she marries Rivakiva. Why is that? So this is what Dina does. And now we can start to understand. Dina goes into the most concealed place in the entire world. And Dina says where nobody sees any spark of goodness, where nobody can see HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I can find Hashem. Because I know, because I'm a person of Din, I know that there's godliness everywhere. The rules of creation are that there's godliness everywhere. Now we can begin to understand how, by going down to Shechem, what does she find? She finds Rav Hanina ben Tradion. Listen to the Gemara again. It's an unbelievable Gemara. Rav Hanina ben Tradion is sitting there teaching Torah. What does Rav Yossi ben Kisma say to him? Why are you teaching Torah? You're going to be killed. Al Hateva, you're going to be killed. Where is Rav Hanina ben Tradion's soul from? His soul is from a place of Din. Din exists in two points. In the point of creation 
And then once again in Olam Abba, Reb Hanina ben Tradion, the secret of Reb Hanina ben Tradion is he's the soul of Olam Haba. So in Olam Hazeh, if Reb Hanina ben Tradion is teaching Torah publicly, what's going to happen to him? He's going to be burned along with the Sefer Torah. And that's exactly what Rav Yosef ben Kisma says to him. He says, you're acting in an irrational way. You're acting in an Olam Haba dika way. Don't you see that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave the world over to Rome? What does Rav Hanina ben Tradion say? No, I don't see that the world has been given over to Rome because there's going to be Rachamei Shamayim. There's going to be Rachamim. We're living in a world of Rachamim. Din is only at the end. What is Rav Hanina ben Tradion interested in? He's not interested in if he dies. What does he say? What's going to be with my chilek and olam haba? He doesn't care about his chilek and olam hazeh. So Rav Hanina ben Tradion says, what's going to be with my chilek and olam haba? So Rav Yaisi ben Kisma says to him, tell me, what schus do you have? Tell me what makes you a ben olam haba. What gives you the definition of a ben olam haba? Listen to what he says. And this is based on the morale. Anytime an ani asks you for tzedakah, that's Olam Haba. An ani is not asking you for tzedakah because they want to go to schmaltz. You don't get tzedakah for going to schmaltz. When do you get tzedakah? You get tzedakah when you're starving. You get tzedakah when you don't have a roof over your head. Yeah? So the morale says tzedakah is Olam Haba. But Purim is Olam Hazeh. Purim is the ultimate Olam Hazeh, No? Because what are you doing on Purim? People are drinking and eating and partying. On its surface, it looks. What does Rav Hanina ben Tradion say? I was in charge of giving out the money for Purim Sudha. I was in charge of giving out the money for Tzedakah. I was holding Olam Hazeh and Olam Haba in my hands. And I took all of it. And I made it Olam Haba. I am a ben Olam Haba. If so, says Rav Yosef ben Kisma, I want my chilek to be with your chilek and I want to suffer the same fate as you. I want your chilek and oilam haba because you're such a ben oilam haba and I want to suffer the same fate as you because if you're going to die in oilam hazeh like a ben oilam haba, that's an unbelievable way to die. And that's exactly what happens. When they wrap the Sefer tire around him, the Talmidim say, what's going on? What are you seeing? And he says, the parchment is burning, the oilam hazeh is burning, but the letters are flying. The letters can never be burnt. He's living in a dimension of oilam haba. How does Rav Hanani ben Tradion come to live on a dimension of Olam Abba? Because he came from Shechem. And Dina was the one that extracted him from Shechem. Dina always goes to the lowest place. Maybe it's with Shechem, she ends up with Shimon. Maybe it's with, maybe it's with uh, Navel, she ends up with David HaMelech. Maybe it's with Ternus Rufus, she ends up with Rav Akiva. Always Dina is bringing things from one dimension to the other. From Olam Hazet to Olam Abba. What does this do for us? I want to share with you a very deep Torah. It's a Torah for every single person in this room. There are times when we make mistakes. There are times when things happen to us that are out of our control. Let's talk about the easier one first. If something that you did, you're not proud of. You went to a low place. You ever make a bad decision? I'm looking around to see who made a bad decision. Okay, some honest people in the room. Yeah? You ever make a bad decision, one that you're not proud of? You can sit here and you could say, yeah, not proud of this decision, bad decision. Or you can understand that sometimes we have to go to low places for reasons that we can't possibly understand. Of course we take responsibility and ownership for what happened. But sometimes we go to low places 
We don't understand why, but some of the best things that can happen to us happen to us from low places. Sometimes we have an epiphany. We're behaving in a way that we don't want to behave, and all of a sudden we're able to go, I don't want to behave that way anymore. And you could change your life from such a thing. That's easy one to understand. Here's the harder one. Sometimes things happen to us in our lives. Death, divorce, illness, tragedy. Sometimes things happen to us and we're not in control of it. We didn't choose to do it. We don't have anything to take responsibility for. But sometimes in those places, the highest sparks are revealed. I want to share with you something that I just saw moments ago. Mamish moments before I walked in. One of the great Rashi Yeshiva of today's generation is a tzaddik whose name is Rishal Alter. Rishal Alter is the Geri Rosh Yeshiva. And there's a picture of him giving shir in Yeshivat Har Etzion in Gush. Unbelievable picture. I could find the caption. I, I could find it maybe in two seconds. If I find it, fine. If not, not. No, it's not here. I don't see it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to stop everyone. But it's an unbelievable picture of him giving the shir. And somebody put a caption under the picture. And they said, Chaval that it took us this long to find unity. Let's not lose it. Something to that effect. Girls of October 7th never would have happened. Would we have what we have today? Were we in control of whether or not we got thrown into the darkness of October 7th? We went to Shrem. We didn't, we didn't want to go to Shrem. We didn't want to be in that place. We didn't want to have that attitude. We weren't there. We were fine. Everyone was fine, right? HaKadosh Baruch Hu thrust us into this. He sent those, those terrorists, those behemoths across the border to do those unspeakable atrocities. But an unbelievable spark was found in that darkness. It was the spark of Achtos that's happening in Klal Yisrael today. It's incredible, no? Would we choose to go to Shechem? Do we ever choose to go to Shechem? Dina went to Shechem because she understood that's the nature of her mission. The nature of her mission is to go to Shechem, Alpidin, to go to that place of Din, to find the godly spark that's hidden within Shechem. That's Dina's role. Do we choose to go to Shechem? Nobody wants to go to Shechem. Nobody wants to be attacked. But Rav Hanina ben Tradion's spark is in Shechem. You can't go anywhere and just like ignore the spark that's there. That's the lesson that Dina teaches us. If you're somewhere, if you're in a dark place, you're there for a reason. There's a beautiful story with Rabbi Jonathan Sachs and the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Rabbi, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs was the chief rabbi of uh, England. You know, Rabbi, doctor, mm-hmm. sir, chief, lord. He had all the titles. How did he become chief rabbi? It's a very famous story. He went, to, he went from Oxford. He had philosophical questions. He traveled to New York. He wanted to meet the Lubavitcher Rebbe to ask him all his philosophical questions. And he arrived and he said, I'm here to meet with the Rebbe. And they laughed him out and they said, there's no way you're meeting with the Rebbe. People make appointments months in advance to meet with the Rebbe. So very disappointed, he got on a bus and he went to Los Angeles. He left a number where he could be reached. And as soon as he arrived in Los Angeles, they said, 72 hours from now, you have an appointment back in New York. So he got on a Greyhound bus and he went all the way back across the country and he went to meet the Lubavitcher Rebbe in New York. And when he got there, he met with the Rebbe and he sat with the Rebbe and he asked the Rebbe every single philosophical question that he had. And one by one, the Rebbe knocked off every single question and showed him why each question could be answered. And obviously Rabbi Sachs who was at the time just a young man, not a rabbi, not even thinking about a position in the rabbinate, was very impressed with the Lubavitcher Rebbe's answers, and thinking that the meeting was over, he got up to leave. And the Rebbe said to him, where are you going? 
He goes, I, I thought we were done. So the Rebbe smiled and he said to him, you got to ask me questions and I don't get to ask you questions? So he sat back down and the Rebbe said to him, what are you doing for Jewish life in England? What are you doing for Jewish life in Oxford and Cambridge? So Rabbi Sachs, when he tells over the story, he smiles and he says, I answered the Rebbe like a typical Englishman. That is to say, I evaded the question. So he said, well, Rebbe, in, in the position in which I currently find myself, and the Rebbe cut him off and he said, there's no such thing as a Jew finding himself somewhere. Wherever you are is exactly where you're supposed to be. Dina finds herself in Shechem because she needs to get the soul of Rav Hanina ben Tradion. And ultimately she marries Shimon. She marries Naval so that she could go to Davin HaMelech. She marries Ternus Rufus so that eventually she can marry Rav Akiva. If we find ourselves in a dark place, the only question is, what are we doing there? What's the point? What's the spark that we're going to mine? Sometimes it's because we chose it. But many times, girls, in our lives, did we choose that Shechem? Nobody chose October 7th. Nobody chooses to lose a loved one. Nobody chooses to have to go to visit a loved one in Sloan Kettering. Nobody chooses to see a sibling or a parent suffering. Nobody chooses to lose their job. Nobody chooses to watch their parents struggling with their own poverty. Nobody chooses these things. The question is, are you a victim or are you there to mind the spark? This is the lesson of Hanukkah. Hanukkah is not the Yom Tov Avaylam Azet, it's the Yom Tov Avaylam Abba. Even in the Beis HaMikdosh, the Menorah only had seven lights. But on, on, on Hanukkah, we go to the level of Avaylam Abba and we light a candle that has eight. Because we're going beyond. And that's why the oil lasts for eight days. And oil represents Chachma, oil represents wisdom. But on Hanukkah, there's a wisdom of Avaylam Abba. It's not the wisdom of Teva. It's not the wisdom of Rav Yaisi ben Kisma saying, Apidarcha Teva, you're going to be killed. It's the wisdom of, there's something lamalim in Ateva. That's why the, the, the Maccabees were able to overcome the Yavanim, even though the Yavanim were much stronger. Abiderach Ateva, the wisdom would have said, submit to them. But there's a Chachma of Hanukkah that says that you could fight them. And that's why we put the Menorah on the left side of the door. The right side of the door represents Olam Haba. The left side of the door represents Olam Hazeh. The right side of our door, we have a Mezuzah. On the left side of our door, we put the Menorah. Even in Olam Hazeh, a person has to know that they can find the lights of Olam Haba. And that's why we put the menorah lower than ten tvachim. We go to the lowest place in the world and we say, even in Olam Azeh, even in the coarsest, most low places of Olam Azeh, a person could find Olam Abba. And how long do we light for? Until the Tarmudayim come home from the Shuk. Until even the Goyim come home from the Shuk. Those people that are literally chopping wood. Mamish at the very, very, very end, in the darkest, darkest, darkest time, you can light menorah up until that point. It's a long war. I'm sure many of us are already like, I can't hear any more about the war. We're not talking about the war, girls. We're talking about our response to the war. There's a moment that we have right now as we stand on the precipice of Mashiach. It's a choice that every one of us gets to make. It's not about the war. It's about the choice that we get to make. How do we respond to the darkness? Do we cover up our pain? Do we just ignore it? Do we stay in our separate corners? You know what you do when you're in pain? For many of us, we numb our pain. What do we numb our pain with? Everything. We numb our pains with our phones. We numb our pains with food. People numb their pains with alcohol. People numb their pain with drugs. Everyone numbs their pain in a different way. If we choose to numb our pain right now, if we choose not to pay attention to the pain that all of Klal Yisrael is suffering, 
then we're losing precious opportunities to mine the spark of Rav Hanina ben Tradio. We're losing out on the opportunity for Olam Haba in these moments. There are Jews that are living Olam Haba-oriented lives. When Rav Shal Alter is invited to Gush and he accepts the invitation, when the Hasidic world and the Dati Lumi Litvisha world collide, it's an Olam Haba-oriented moment. And then, unfortunately, there are those people that are still going, but we have to make sure to draw our lines in the sand. Chaval. Chaval, that's an Olam Hazer response to an Olam Haba opportunity. We can't lose out on these opportunities. They're too precious. My generation didn't do it. I know you think I'm young. You look at me, you must think I'm very young. I'm going to be a grandfather, Be'ezus Hashem, in January. I'm not as young as you think. Thank you very much. Thank you. L'chaim, l'chaim. It's always the young people that change the world. It's never people in their 40s and 50s and 60s. Those are the people that mess it up. It's the, it's the young girls in their 20s that still have hopes and dreams and aspirations and expectations for what their life could be. Build families of Olam Haba girls. Don't build Olam Hazadika families. Build families that see the spark even in the darkness. Be'ez Hashem, you do that. Maybe it'll be in the schus of the Nashim Tzidkaniyas in this room that will be Zaychad Agri Mashiach Tzidkaniyas.